Yeah, it's really good to be here. Uh, man, there's a lot of stories running through my head right now <laughs> that I'd really like to take the time to tell. Uh, maybe, maybe you could pay me later <laughs> for the stories you want to hear. Uh, I got to go there quickly, though, right? Uh, so one Sunday morning, uh, service had begun. Uh, everybody was seated. And in walks a guy and proudly kind of walks up the side and in a blue 70s leisure suit (laughs) with long purple hair. And I mean, everybody in the place was doing exactly what you're doing right now. What in the world is going on? Who is that? It took me a second to figure out, oh, that's Bryce. He, he was always trying to figure out how... I don't know if you were a believer at that point yet or not. Um, yeah, I'd have to rewind the clock to remember where you were in life. But uh, Bryce was always had something up his sleeve that was kind of fun. And then one, one about Kimmy. Uh, wait, you guys don't call her Kimmy, do you? You call her... First, okay, Kimmy, yeah. So you really... It's, it's actually Kimmy girl. It, so, so Kimmy was the princess of the church, right? I mean, she was that girl. Uh, not only was she the princess of the church, but she was the princess. She was actually the homecoming queen. Did you know that? No. Yeah. Kimmy was the homecoming queen. But not only was Kimmy the homecoming queen, she was also the drum line, you know, like the high school drum line. She was the drum line leader in her high school. And it was a big high school in town. Right, and so she'd get out there and she'd have these like four drum thing going on, whatever that's called. Right, so when she was the homecoming queen, she gets crowned queen in front of the whole, you know, like football stadium, and then she walks away in her like queen dress, right, and her queen sash, puts on her drums. And leads the band out onto the marching field. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. So, okay, I'll stop there because we could have a whole lot of fun uh, with stories. It it is really an amazing feeling, and unfortunately, Bryce, uh, I am getting old. Uh, it's yeah, it happens because you know you're old when you're looking at others and going. Ah, oh, that's awesome. I'm so proud of what they do. You know, that's, you, you just know you're getting old when you're looking at other generations and kind of feeling good about it. Let's talk about culture. So, here's the thing. Every organization, every family, uh, every church has a culture. And if you spend enough time with a family or an organization, a business or a church, you'll eventually discover their culture, okay? Part of your culture is is evident by the fact that, well, I don't know if you've done this intentionally or not, but you've put the musicians off over here. Now, if I were guessing, I would say, what you're trying to do is create a culture that says, this isn't about what we put on up here for you to enjoy, but it's a, we're over here so that we can focus on the one we have come to rightfully glorify. That, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful, intentional, cultural move. There aren't a whole lot of churches that are doing that, right? I mean, you can go, you can go get a, I uh, should be really careful here. Oh, well, I'm Bryce's former youth pastor, so I'm sure Bryce has gone off the rail a few times, and now you'll figure out why, maybe because I go off the rail. But there's a whole lot of churches you could go to today and create a great show. They're going to put the band up here, and you get to be the audience. Listen, there's only one audience, right? And that's Jesus. And so it's kind of fun to see a culture where people are saying, you know what, it's not about us. It's about what you and I bring to him. All right? Uh, I don't know what else to think about your culture because I haven't hung out with you enough except to know that most of you are afraid to be close to the guy that's up front. Uh, and, and so, I, uh, let's just do it, huh? Let's come down here because you can't run. Okay? 
Plus, I can't see with those big old bright lights shining on my face. All right? You have a culture here. Every church has a culture. And that culture can be observed by the language that you use. What, what is the shared language around this building? Give me, give me a couple hours. I'll get it figured out. What, what, are the, what are the stories that you tell? What are the things that you regularly are talking about as a body of believers? That tells us about your culture. What are the things that you're regularly celebrating? The things that collectively make you inside go, yeah, that's us. Okay, those are the things that reveal your culture. And every church has a culture. It's, it's made up of different components. Unfortunately, uh, the culture of most churches isn't something that people have taken the time to say, let's intentionally create this type of culture. Let's, let, let's seek to shape it and build it. You've been very intentional with this bit. Okay, that, that's crazy intentional. I hope you're intentional about the other things that, that you're doing. But because most churches aren't intentional about building a culture, they inadvertently end up building a culture that tends to be a culture of caution or a culture of comfort, a, a culture of consumerism. A lot of churches, their culture is one of caution. They're, they're cautious with what they do with their money. Okay? Ooh, here we go. Right? I, I can tell you your culture if you'll give me a shot at looking at your budget. And more importantly, how much money you have in the bank account. Okay? There are churches that are sitting on tens of thousands of dollars, and I don't know if that's you or not, but, you know, what does that say? It says we have a culture of caution. Well, you know, we want to survive if something goes down and, and we're going to need to, yeah, but listen, if Jesus shows up tomorrow, I think he's going to be asking a whole lot of people, listen, I gave you that money. What's it doing in the bank? Okay, I better stop. But we're cautious with our, a lot of churches are cautious with their money. They're, they're cautious with the way they interact with the world. In fact, a lot of times we don't interact, we withdraw from the world. Uh, we're cautious with our traditions. We, we create comfort cultures, cultures that are comfortable relationally. Right? We want to make sure that we do whatever it takes to make sure that relationally it's just comfortable. Let's not get risky. Let's not get up in each other's business too much. How's the weather? How's WVU doing? You know, things like that. We're, we're comfortable relationally. Uh, we're, we're comfortable physically. We do everything to make sure that we're comfortable. I, I like your chairs. They're nice. We're, we're comfortable. We're comfortable spiritually, aren't we? You know, in the Alliance, we believe in the Holy Spirit. But some people have said, we're charismatic with a seatbelt. Okay? Yeah, we're charismatic. We like the Holy Spirit, but let's not get too crazy because that's not comfortable. So we put the seatbelt on. All right? Uh, we tend to create cultures that are consumeristically driven. We do what keeps people happy, keeps people coming, keeps people engaged. Unfortunately, if we're not careful and we're not intentional, those tend to be the kind of cultures that I see developing in churches as I get the chance to travel around and hang out with a lot of different churches. There, there's one more cultural dynamic that takes place in every church, and that's a culture, whether it's intentionally built or unintentionally, it's a culture of discipleship. Now, I used to think that there were a whole lot of churches that weren't making disciples. The truth is this. Every church is making disciples. The question is, what kind? All right? Every church is making disciples of some kind. The question is, what kind? And the what kind is often determined by the shared definition that a church has of a disciple. Here's the curious thing to me. Uh, you know, when I start thinking about what is the definition of a disciple, 
I can't find a chapter and verse that gives it to me. Like Jesus said, go make disciples. It, it, it's who we are. It's the thing we're supposed to be doing. It's the cultural dynamic that should be evident in everything that we do. And yet, if that's the Great Commission, I would have thought at some point Jesus would have said, all right, time out. Let me explain to you exactly what a disciple is. Let me define it for you. And yet, I don't see that happening. And because we don't have that chapter and verse laid out, we tend to do one of two things, or maybe a mixture of two things, and that's taking two Greek words and building our understanding of discipleship around them, and therefore it builds the culture that we have. And so the first word is, is well, let's, let's just do this for the fun of it. Um, you stop and quietly define a disciple. If you could define a disciple in one word, what would it be? Just don't, don't say it out loud. Let's just do a little experiment here. Okay? One word, how would you define a disciple? All right, most of us have probably heard this idea. And it's from a Greek word that has literally been translated follower. Okay, and so we say a disciple is a follower. Or the idea is, the other word is one of learner. Okay, we literally use the Greek word translated learner to define a disciple. So a disciple is a learner. So just for the fun of it, how many people came up with one of those two words? Okay. Yeah, that's the typical answer. We've typically done that. Here's the thing. What we, how we define a disciple then determines the outcomes that we're after. All right? So let's think about it just a little bit further. What does a follower need? A leader, okay, all right. A follower needs somebody that they can actually put their feet behind and move in fashion with, all right. Here's the challenge with this. Let's just call it out. It's tough to follow somebody you can't actually see or hear or touch. And so what we end up doing is because... Most of us, what's your name? I, I'm going to start using you as an example, so sorry, dude. John. John, okay. So, John, uh, I, well, I don't need to pick on you yet. I'll leave, I'll leave you alone. All right? So, here's the thing. Most of us, when we became followers of Jesus or a Christian, nobody stopped and said, now listen, John, let me tell you how to lock arms with this person you can't see because you're supposed to follow him. Because we don't know how to do that real well, what we end up doing is giving John a list to follow. Here's the things you should do, and here's the things you shouldn't do. And if you follow the lists, the better you follow the lists, the better disciple you are. So most of us do things in our lives because, well, I'm not quite sure how to follow someone I don't see or hear or touch, but I do got a list that Bryce gives me every Sunday morning. Or my Sunday school back teacher back in the day said, don't do those things, and I follow the list. And then I pat myself on the back when I've done well, and I beat myself up when I don't do well. And so the unfortunate thing is if the only thing we can do as followers is follow lists, we end up either being very legalistic or we walk around with a lot of guilt or pride. Look what I've done and not done. We need to be very careful if our definition is simply follow. Okay? What does a learner need? A teacher. A teacher. Okay, and what does a teacher provide? Knowledge and information. Okay, so think about the outcomes. If being a disciple is really about getting more information, we're set. We're set. 
We got more information than we know what to do with. I don't know if you've ever poked around on the, what, what's the, te- what was the? Right now, yeah, right now, okay? Right now has more information on it than you'll ever be able to actually put into practice. There is more, in- we are information gluttons, okay? We, 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 we listen to sermons, we listen to podcasts, we read books, we go to seminars, sorry, Kimmy, we go to retreats, we get right now, we get, we, we got information, we got information, okay? We got more information than we know what to do with. Let me ask you a question. Since when has information actually transformed somebody's life? Okay, yeah. I forgot. Kimmy talks back. That's good. I like, I like that. I just don't usually get it. Okay? Here's the thing. Information's not bad. But just because we have information doesn't mean we're actually being a disciple of Jesus Christ. So, so what do we do with this? If, if, if I just took a moment and blew up your paradigms on your definitions, what are we left with? I, I think the answer goes back to this observation I made earlier that says it's really curious that there is no time out. Here's what a definition of a disciple is coming from Jesus. Why is that? Have you ever thought about that? I think, and here's what I would propose to you. I would propose to you this idea, that the reason Jesus never stopped and defined a disciple was because when the word disciple was said, a whole lot of information went through the back of the typical hearer's mind. Okay, there, there, there was a whole lot of information that, that happened, and, and Jesus didn't need to stop and go, now let's make sure everybody's got the same definition here. Because they all did. The, the, the same story went through the back of their head. It's like me saying uh, today uh, something about a 5G network. I don't need to probably stop and explain that to most of us in the room. Why? Because a whole lot of information just went through the back of your head. Okay? Faster internet speeds. That's why all these towers keep showing up on our mountains out here. Uh, it helps me to get things done quicker. I can find information easier, blah, blah, blah. A whole lot of information just went through the back of your head when I said a 5G network. I don't have to define that for you. I think the same thing was happening when Jesus used that word back in the day. So what I want to do is I want to take just a few minutes and explain the story behind that. Here's what went through their heads. Okay? So it goes like this. Uh, In Hebrew... um, education, there were three levels of schooling that every Israelite kid went through, okay? And so uh, the first level of schooling, and there's, uh, there's a fun technical Hebrew word that I can't pronounce, so I'm not going to use it, but basically it translates to the house of the book, okay? And so what happened was when a kid turned uh, four or five years old, uh, they, were, they were sent to school, Okay, it's going to sound very much like sort of what we do today. And so they spend the first couple of years going to what was called the, the, the house of the book, where they were simply learning all kinds of things, how to read, how to write, uh, if, and, and understanding who God was based on the first five books of the Old Testament. And at the end of that schooling period, there was a test, okay, and If little Johnny did well on the test, then little Johnny went to the next level of schooling, which was called the house of learning. If little Johnny didn't do so well on the test, they had some remedial summer school type things, and little Johnny would get to take the test again, okay? And the whole idea was to move to the second level of testing. And so around seven or eight, uh, they moved on to the next level house, the house of learning, and at the end of a couple of years there, there was a test, okay? And at the end of that test, uh, some things began to shift in a kid's life. This was an important test, 
right? And if you didn't pass that test, what typically happened was little Johnny went back home and just kind of did what his dad did uh, kind of thing. Sorry, I keep using little Johnny because ladies, they just didn't have the educational environment for women at that time. But so I'm just going to keep picking on little Johnny here. Little Johnny, yeah, that works out perfect. Okay, so little Johnny uh, didn't do so well, and so little Johnny goes home, and little Johnny becomes a baker or a carpenter or a fisherman or a whatever dad was kind of thing. But if little Johnny passed the test, then he went to the third level of schooling, which was called the house of study. And so it's in the house of study that some unique things began to happen. And so what would happen is, is as little Johnny's dad, little Johnny, I I would start taking little Johnny with me. And every once in a while, uh, I would bring him to Rabbi Bryce. Okay, and I'd say, Rabbi Bryce, this is my son, little Johnny. Little Johnny, tell Rabbi Bryce what you know. And little Johnny would stand there and he would recite the Ten Commandments. And then little Johnny would recite what he knows about the life of Moses. And Bryce, Rabbi Bryce is standing there going, all right, kind of like this little kid Johnny. Keep my eye on him. All right. And then there were some other parents that were bringing little Justin to Rabbi Bryce. And uh, Rabbi, you know, Justin's parents would say, Justin, tell Rabbi Bryce what you know. And Justin would stand there and he'd tell Rabbi Bryce what he knows. And Rabbi Bryce would write down a few notes and go, "Eh, I don't know, be careful. You could watch him sort of, but I'm not sure he's a first round draft pick kind of thing. Okay. And so, sorry, Justin. Uh, uh, Johnny Uh, continues to go to school, and Justin continues to go to school. And at the end of the third section of schooling, there was a test. Yeah. And so uh, both guys passed the test. And, and, And Rabbi Bryce at that point is standing there looking out over the crowd of kids that passed the test, looking at his notes, And he decides, you know what? I like Johnny. And so the rabbi would extend an invitation to Johnny to come follow him. Johnny, I'd like you to be my disciple. And when the rabbi extended the invitation to come follow him, parents in the background were going, yeah, kid got drafted. It's good stuff. That, that, that's what a parent wanted. It was a D1 draft pick kind of situation. But, but, but there was a whole lot that came with that draft pick. Okay, What that meant was Rabbi Bryce says to Rabbi Johnny, okay, report to camp. And Johnny literally went home and packed up his room and left his parents and moved in with Rabbi Bryce and Kimmy Girl and and became one of their family. It was a commitment on both ends. He literally left father and mother to become part of this family, and they loved him like their own. He was basically adopted into their family. And the intent was this, for the next 15 years or so, until he reached the age of around 30, the idea was that he did everything that the rabbi did. So if the rabbi went out to the garden, little Johnny went out to the garden with the rabbi. And he studied how the rabbi picked the carrots and how he planted the corn. And he would watch the way the rabbi would walk through town and who he would talk to and what he would say to them, and the things that he was teaching people with the intent that someday I'm going to do the same thing. And so he was taking copious notes on this guy. 
and he was becoming like him in every way. He traveled with him. He got to the place where he talked like him. He thought like him. He acted like him. He had the same priorities, the same objectives. In fact, it, it, was, such a, it was such a big deal. Okay, there's a, there's a whole other set of rules that go into Israelite thinking uh, and behaviors and lists of do's and don'ts. But one of them is this, that if you are a disciple of a rabbi and your father gets kidnapped at the same time your rabbi gets kidnapped, you have a responsibility to give any and everything you have to secure the freedom of who? The rabbi. Your dad, your dad was done. All right? And, and, and so th there was so much uh, uh, that went into this idea of what it meant to be a disciple. And so when Jesus said, hey, let me talk to you, those of you who are my disciple, all of that story went right through the back of those people's heads. Right? They knew exactly what he meant when he used the word disciple. Fact check me on this. There's a couple of uh, websites out there that talk about the rabbinic traditions. And if you study those, you will see that the rabbinic traditions, the traditions of rabbis, this whole story plays out. Okay? It's there. I didn't, I didn't just pull something out of the hat. Right? But when Jesus used the term all of that information went through their head. Now, let me, let me take all that story and, and pull it down into four thoughts. I'm going to ask you to put a definition up here because this is the definition that would have gone through the typical Israelite person's mind when they heard the word disciple. Now, they didn't put Christ on it, but I'll run the, the definition twice. So a disciple is one called by a rabbi into a loving relationship with a rabbi for the purpose of becoming like a rabbi while on mission with a rabbi. Okay? You and I have been called by Christ. So let's rerun the definition as you see on the screen. A disciple is one called by Christ into a loving relationship with Christ for the purpose of becoming like Christ while on mission with Christ. That is what went through the back of everybody's mind when they heard the word, when Jesus used it back in those days. Now, I have no idea what time it is. Is there a clock in this joint? I'm good. Just you don't, don't say that to me. What time is it, seriously? 11.30. And we go till when? Oh, really? Oh, wow. Because I was about ready to say, I can't cover all of this definition. Yeah, that's fun. Uh, I, I'll spare you. I would rather you go, man, I wish I could learn more, and then you can go dig in it for yourself rather than me giving all the answers. That's no fun. That's too, that's too easy. That's cheating. And John doesn't want to do that anyway. Okay, so let's quickly introduce each topic. We'll land on one in particular for a few moments. Let's talk about called. A disciple is one who is called by Christ. Now, I, I think, unfortunately, we've taken this word called in the church world, and we've added some thoughts to it that aren't really biblical thoughts. Okay? Sometimes we'll use this idea of those who are called, you know, and we make it this high and lofty kind of like, that's Bryce. He's called to be a pastor. Okay? Let's rearrange that thinking for just a moment. Who in this room is called by Christ? Every one of us who have accepted Christ. Okay? Don't, 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 don't miss that. Don't, don't ever let anybody sell you short on what it means to be called. It's not that special people are called. All people are called by Christ. 
Okay? Uh, and just in case you were wondering, like, how, how far should we take this idea? I mean, isn't, don't we need special people like Bryce to be called? Yeah, that may be true, but take your Bibles. Okay, so here we go. We're going to start digging into Scripture now. Uh, I've laid a lot out, and we haven't opened up and looked at the King's words yet. But So I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me uh, to Matthew chapter 4. And I want us to look quickly at this idea uh, just to see this, because you said I got plenty of time. I, I want to read a story for you. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 23. So Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. Oh, wait, I don't want 23, I want 18. Okay. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Now let's stop right there. What do we know? So, so far, take the whole story I told you. What do we know about Peter and Andrew from this story so far? They're, they're fishermen, what? They're not, scholars. they're not scholars. How do you know that? Because they're, they've got a train. They're fishermen. They're undrafted. In other words, they weren't the smartest people in school. Okay? Uh, they, 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 they didn't make it past the th second level of schooling. They were just ordinary dudes. They got an F at some point in life. And somebody said, you're not going to cut it in the big leagues? Go home. Be fishermen. Now, I don't know about you. But that's good news, isn't it? That's good news. Jesus didn't walk around looking for the, the first round draft picks. He, he, he didn't take notes on the Johnnies and the Justins. He said, I'll take some ordinary dudes, some ordinary people. I, study this sometime, Acts 4.13 uh, Peter and John get themselves in trouble with the religious big boys, okay? And in that story, uh, they come to the conclusion, the conclusion was this, that the disciples were unschooled, ordinary men who had been with Jesus. Isn't, like, I don't know y'all. Maybe there's some, like, crazy rocket scientists in here or something. But looking around... I'm going to say that most of us are just pretty ordinary people. We're just, we're just ordinary people. And that's good news. Because Jesus sees us and he says, I call you, and I call you, and I call you, and I call you. In fact, I've called everyone in this room that has responded to the call. Okay. Don't ever underestimate that call. At some point, you, sh you should spend some time. Here's some homework. Write this down for those of you who are note takers. You should write this down. What have I been called to? And what have I been called from? That's an interesting thought. Interesting biblical idea that's worth digging into. And it reveals a whole lot about this. Uh, I I I'll keep reading the story since Kimmy said I have time. Uh, because this call is not, don't assume that just because ordinary people are called, that there isn't something extraordinary expected when we receive the call. Okay, This call isn't some chump call. It, it, it isn't a call to come be comfortable and to be cautious and to be consumeristic. Okay, Let's, let's finish the story and then we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. All right. At one, okay, so Jesus extends this call. Verse 19, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fisher of men. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee. See the story playing out here, right? Got an F at the end of that test. Went home doing thing dad did. 
preparing their nets, Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. I hope that most of us in the room are able to say, I have heard the call of Christ and I've responded to it. My question to all of us, and me included, is have I, have I truly responded in a radical fashion to the call of Christ? Or have I said, yeah, I'll follow you, but I'm going to keep my boat and I'm going to keep my dad. Hmm, something interesting to chew on. Let's keep moving. A disciple is one called by Christ into a loving relationship with Christ. What is the great command? What's the greatest command? Anybody know it? Okay, Johnny, stand up real quick. You guys say a little... Okay, I don't need to hear it. They need to hear it, so turn around. Say a little louder for me, too. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, and soul. Okay, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Listen, a disciple is one who is called into a loving relationship. Now, how many of you, when you came to Christ, did somebody stop and say, okay, listen... What's your name? Natalie. 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 Uh, I'm so grateful that you responded to the call of Jesus Christ in your life. Let me tell you how to fall in love with somebody you can't see. Let, let, let me tell you how to grow in a loving relationship with somebody you can't touch. Or hear. For the most part. How many people had that? How many people stopped and said, let me tell you how to fall in love? Most of us didn't get that. Most of us got, okay, now that you're a follower of Christ, here's the 10 things you ought to do next. Read your Bible and pray every day and you'll grow, grow, grow. Attend church, throw some money in the offering box and go to women's movie night. What, what movie are we watching? Undecided. Undecided? We don't know yet. Oh, I thought you were saying there's a movie called Undecided. Okay. <laughs> How do you attract people to something they don't know? Okay, anyway. All right. It's about the people. Oh, yeah. Forget the movie. Yeah. And the food. Okay, got it. Culture is becoming clearer right now. Okay. Wow, I chase squirrels way too much. Um, where were we? Loving relationship. Listen, most of us don't know how to actually love Jesus well, except putting a list of do's and don'ts together. Okay? We, we have been taught, I, I was taught, I won't put it on you. I was taught this. By your obedience, you show Jesus you love him. So in that, what, what, what I was taught was do the right things to make sure you maintain the love you're supposed to have. It, the unspoken in that is if I don't do the right things, what happens to my loving relationship? Yeah. So I, I spend my life scrambling around trying to do the right things and avoid doing the wrong things so that God loves me. That's not the point of obedience. I don't obey so that I'm loved. I love, and because I love him so much, I want to bring pleasure and happiness to him. So, yeah, I'll do what you ask. That's not a problem, because I love you so much. It, which one comes first? It needs to start with a loving relationship. A disciple is one who has been called by Christ into a loving relationship. Man, that's, you can spend a lifetime right here figuring this one out. How do I do that? 
How do, I, how do I help the next person that comes to Christ fall in love with the king rather than just do good Christian boy and girl things? But we don't have time to unpack anymore. Bryce, you can do that later. Become like. We're going to return to that one, so hold on to that. We'll come back. While on mission with... Notice it doesn't say while on mission for. It says while on mission with. Little Johnny didn't go do his own thing for the next 15 years of his life. When he moved in with Rabbi Bryce, he was simply on mission. Wherever Rabbi Bryce went, he went with him to do whatever he was doing in town, in the next town, in the next village, whatever it was, he was on mission with his rabbi, not for his rabbi. And this is really important for us to keep in mind. Because a whole lot of us feel like we need to run around doing things for Jesus in our neighborhoods, in Elkins, in wherever else you might live. And so we run around doing things for, rather than taking the time to say, Jesus, what are you up to and how do I get to do it with you? It's a whole lot better way of living life. The call of a disciple isn't to do for, it's to do with. There's a whole lot to investigate here. Okay? I'll just drop two more and then we're running. Okay? But it's on mission with Christ in two places, okay? It's on mission with Christ in the world and in each other's lives, okay? We'll, we'll unpack that one in just a moment when we go back. But, but you need to be on mission with Christ in the world and within each other's lives, which means the relational comfort thing might get a little dicey. But a disciple's willing to go there. All right, so a disciple is one called by Christ into a loving relationship with Christ for the purpose of becoming like Christ while on mission with Christ. So, so let's go back and let's talk about the per- for the purpose of becoming like, and we'll... Spend whatever time we have left on this one. We're going we're gonna to look at three verses here. Uh, and so the first one is Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Turn there for a moment. Don't read it yet. That's cheating. Uh, so let, let, let's just do this. If somebody were to ask you, what is the destiny of all people, one of two answers tends to be uh, first out of the gate, okay? So for some people, they will say the destiny of all mankind is to be saved, okay? And and scripturally, we could probably back that up, that God wants all people saved. We, We can find verses that say that. And so what we say is we say, listen, the destiny of every person is to get saved, Or the other answer is, the destiny of every person is to spend eternity with God in heaven. And so what we tend to do is we tend to work towards one of those things in people's lives when we're doing things for our rabbi. So I'm going to go around and I'm going to try to communicate the love and truth of Jesus so that people respond to it and they get saved. Or once somebody's saved, I may do a whole lot of things to make sure they follow the right do's and don'ts so that they can spend eternity in heaven. But I want to challenge that idea uh, with this one verse here. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Uh, uh, And there's a whole lot of theology in these verses, theology that has been 
pushed and pulled on for all kinds of decades and centuries, and we're not going to get wrapped up in that. We're simply going to pick out the heart of the verse uh, and go from there. So verse 29, and I'm going to read through 30 uh, just so you, you see this. Uh, and I want you to, we're going to pick out the middle of the verse, but there's something else I want you just to pay attention to. See if you can pick it up as we read. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now, I didn't read verse 28, but verses 28 through 30, three times use the word called. It's just really fascinating. When you start having this definition in mind, you start seeing these words pop off the page in new ways. But verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined. All right, right here, this verse says, let, it, it, it's screaming, time out. Let me tell you the destiny that God has for everyone who is called. Okay, our destiny is what? Look, look, at, look at your passage, don't, don't look at me. Our destiny is what? Somebody talk, now, besides Kimmy, somebody else talk to me. To be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. This is an amazing idea. Listen, you can look into the eyes of any person. This is going to get real uncomfortable, dude, okay? You can look into the eyes of any person, and I can tell you what your destiny is with complete confidence. There is no doubt in my mind. That, yeah, you're having a hard time with this, aren't you? Yeah. Okay? There is no doubt in my mind that I know exactly what God has destined you for. You can do that with anybody in this room that has responded to the call of Christ. I can tell you what your destiny is. There's no, look, you're a teacher, great, but that's not your destiny. I know what your destiny is. I know what your destiny, I know what your destiny is. Isn't that amazing to be able to look with confidence in anybody's eyes and say, I know exactly what you're destined for. And your destiny is to look like Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means to look like Jesus in character and priorities. Okay, so here's a little homework for the fun of it. All right, go home, get you two pieces of paper. All right, and at the top of one piece of paper, write the word character. And at the top of the other piece of paper, write the word priorities. Okay, and then stick them in your Bible at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. And start reading the life of Christ through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And every time you come across something that talks about the character of Christ, write it down. Okay? Anytime you're reading a story and you go, oh, that's the character of Christ, write it down. Anytime you're reading a story or, or Jesus is teaching or something and you come across the priorities and he says, this is what's most important, write it down. And pay attention because there are some things that will just keep coming back over and over and over and over. And you can begin to go, ah, that's the character and priorities of Christ. Now, here, here's the thing. Most of us are, are going to give, like, you're, you're drawn to the cheater answers. Okay? You're drawn to Jesus was loving, and Jesus was kind, and he was merciful. And, okay, yeah, that's right. That's right. But when you do this for the next rest of your life, just keep reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John over and over and over again, and writing your list of character and priorities. Ask the Lord for fresh eyes. Say, Jesus, show me something different about your character and priorities. Help me to see it clearly again. Because for the most of us, we, we, we just already have the good Sunday school answers already in our mind. 
I'm telling you, if you pay attention, the priorities of Christ tend to be a little bit different than what most of us are comfortable with. Okay? His priorities aren't many. His priorities are a few when it comes to people. His priority, watch this. His priority isn't the church, it's the kingdom. His priorities are His priorities are provoking rather than being all about peace giving. His priorities aren't the Christians and the religious people. His priorities are the least and the last and the lost. See, when we talk about discipleship, a lot of times we go, what's it mean to be a a, a disciple? There's somebody that reads their Bible and prays and goes to, and we start rattling off these do's and don'ts. No, becoming a disciple is like becoming like Christ, and it's a whole different set of answers. It's a whole different set of answers. Have fun paying attention to it. Dig back in one more time, because here's the deal. It's your destiny. Okay? Your destiny isn't to read the Bible. I'm, so, I'm, I'm not back. I'm sorry. I sound like I'm, I got to beat some things that probably feel a little rough uh, to try to get you to think again, okay? Y- your destiny isn't to read the Bible. Your destiny is to become like Jesus. Listen, how about this? Your destiny isn't to get saved. That's just step one. And your destiny, this is amazing, think about this. Your destiny isn't to get to heaven and spend eternity with God. That's not your destiny according to this. It's the last step. Your destiny is to respond to the call of Christ and then to spend a lifetime becoming like him in his character and priorities. And when you step across that line, the job's done because then you're a perfect reflection of the king. All right? But this and that are not your destiny. Your destiny is to look like Christ in character and priorities. That's a fun lifelong journey. Okay, let's look at another one. If we can look into each other's eyes and say, I know your destiny... This one's kind of another fun one to be able to look into people's eyes. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Starting in verse 18, there's a whole lot of good stuff in this passage, but we're only going to pick out one verse. It says this, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into what? Whoa, what was that? My bad. I don't know if that was me or something. Okay. I think we're supposed to pay attention to this. Do I need to move this down or who knows? We've been good so far. Okay. Something's trying to get our attention. Are all being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is what? Or who? Who is the Holy Spirit. So here's, here's the next fun one. Okay, Listen, You can look in the eyes of anybody, and I can tell you what the Holy Spirit's up to in your life today. There's no doubt in my mind. I don't have to guess. Okay, I, I, You can look. This is the quintessential work of the Holy Spirit. There's a whole lot of things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives and in our, in our bodies of believers and those kind of things and in the world around us. There's a whole lot of things. But here is the quintessential work of the Holy Spirit. His work in you is to conform you to the image of Christ in an ever-increasing way. You see that? So listen, you're supposed to walk with the Holy Spirit in such a way that I've crossed the line and each day I start looking a little more like Jesus. Ever increasing transformation into the image of Christ. And note again, this this is the beauty of it. Who's doing the work here? 
the Holy Spirit in us. I wish somebody would have told me this. Because I always run around thinking it's me. It's I gotta do this. What do I need to what do I need to clean up today? What do I need to get right so I can come to the communion table? Which, which is right, but please don't. And yet, this is a beautiful passage because it reminds me, oh, it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit. The best I'm going to do is be dead to self so that he can do what he wants to do in me in order to conform me to the image of Christ, that I might look like him in character and priorities. Why? Because it's your destiny. It's my destiny. And the Holy Spirit loves us just enough to say, I'm going to help you get there. If you'll just stay out of the way and let me do my thing in your life, you'll start looking a little more like the king. All right? So then let's take one more, more step. Here, here's where the relational thing is going to get a little, little goofy. Maybe if our, if our culture is one of relational comfort. Ephesians chapter 4. So we know what our destiny is. It's for the purpose of becoming like Christ. We know what the Holy Spirit's up to in our lives, becoming like Christ. So there's only one other set of players in the story, and that's us. Okay? So Ephesians chapter 4, we'll we'll start in 11, 12 is where we want to get to. It was he, meaning Jesus, who gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and some to be teachers to prepare God's people for several things. One, for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Here's the piece I want us to grab onto. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Other translations, it it, it uses the word attaining to the whole measure of the image of Christ. Becoming like him in character and priorities. And so here's what it looks like. Um, what, What Paul is saying is, listen, yeah, we know the destiny. Yes, we know uh, what the Holy Spirit's up to. And yet, we are also given a role in all of this. And so the role looks something like this. Uh, John and, and Rabbi Bryce, if you'll come up here, we'll, we'll do a little something. It's not a role play. I don't know what you call it. Ex- illustration. Yeah? All right, all right. I like that. Okay. So... It it, it looks like this. We need a culture of discipleship in our church that that looks like this. That we know and are confident in each other. That we love each other enough to place our our lives into the hands of others. This here is, God's given us all kinds of people in order to help us get to the place where we reach the fullness of Christ. So listen, you you have a responsibility, not simply for yourself, but you have a responsibility for me, okay? You have a responsibility to lock arms with me, all right? And we have a responsibility to lock arms with you, all right? And it goes down like this. These brothers ought to have complete freedom to look into my eyes and say, Todd, I know your destiny. Your destiny is to be conformed to the image of Christ. And I know what the Holy Spirit's doing in your life. He's conforming you daily into his image. But Todd, we also know that you're a little thick-headed sometimes, okay? And that's why God has put us in each other's lives. And because I know that these guys love me, I give them permission 
to look into my life and go, hey, you know what? You're being a ding-dong. You're, you're not acting like Christ. Your, your character doesn't match. And so I think the Holy Spirit's using me right now to slap you upside the head and say, Get it right, man. Pay attention to what's going on here. And, and if we build the right culture within our church, I ought to be able to look at John and go, that hurt, but you're right. At the heart of discipleship is building a culture and a community that says, you know what, we love each other enough that we're not going to settle for comfort in our relationships, but we're going to be committed to walking with each other into the fullness of Christ's image, locking arms with each other. Right? Most of us don't live like that. Okay? We, we'd much, that, that, that's, listen, when you lock arms... That's not always comfortable. It's much easier for me to have this kind of relationship with people in the church. Yeah, I love you guys. It's all good. Keep your distance. I didn't give you permission to point out anything in my life. This doesn't lead to the fullness of Christ becoming evident in me. It's only when we lock arms. It's only when we lock arms. Our faith and our destiny is not something we do independent from each other. Not according to this passage. And I, I, I don't think you're going to find a passage that says our faith and our destiny and our transformation is to be accomplished in and of ourselves. It's, true. it's always done in community. That's why we got this thing called the church, the family of God. All right. All right, thanks, fellas. So, a disciple is one called by Christ into a loving relationship with Christ for the purpose of becoming like Christ because it is my destiny and because it is what the Holy Spirit's doing in my life. And it's because of the responsibility that you and I have towards each other. while on mission with Christ. Elkins Alliance Church, um, you have a culture of disciple-making here. I, I don't know what it is. And I don't know whether you've been intentional or unintentional about creating it. But what I do know is that Bryce has a commitment to building that kind of culture here. And I'm excited for where the Lord's going to take you guys in this adventure of helping each one of you achieve the destiny that God already has for you. Listen, if you will become the disciple, according to this definition that went through the back of everybody's mind when Christ said it, you will turn Elkins, West Virginia upside down and you will turn Parsons upside down and Beelington upside down and Beverly upside down and who knows what else from here. Be intentional. Be the kind of disciples that Christ invites us to be. It's not a comfortable journey always. It's not very consumeristically driven. And you're going to have to throw some caution to the wind every once in a while. But, ooh, it's a ride. And it's our destiny. And it's worth chasing with everything we got. Let me pray for y'all. Uh, Lord, there was a line in a song that we sung 
earlier that said something about we don't want, we're not going to be satisfied with ordinary. And um, I confess, Lord Jesus, that too often I am. I'm satisfied with ordinary. I'm satisfied with ordinary Christian living. I'm satisfied with this typical thought of what a disciple really is. But we said we weren't going to be satisfied. So there's been a whole lot of human words spoken here this morning. I pray, Jesus, that in an unordinary way, your words would trump anything we have heard from a human today. And that you would do extraordinary things in our lives. That we would give you extraordinary access that we would find joy and hope in the call that we have responded to, that we would fall more madly and passionately in love with you, that each and every day we would be surrendered to becoming more like you, and that we would find exceptional joy in living on mission with you. Help these, help these men and women uh, to be intentional about the kind of disciple-making, discipleship culture they build here. In Jesus' name I pray.